Get ready for the world's greatest Arsenal podcast. Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another pod- uh, podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. My name is Fergus, I'm your host. I'm joined today by my old man, my friend, my mucker, my drinking buddy from Thursday night. Uh, well, Thursday night, also today, if I'm honest. Uh, old man Hilsey, uh, Trevor. And I'm also joined from the far side of the pond in Canada. We're joined by Stan the Man. Uh, guys, how the hell are you? Um, I hope you're uh, well, Stan. Uh, you're back again after phoning. Uh, you're joining us as a, um, uh, a guest on the show today. How are things? What's it like over there? Uh, life treating you well? Well, um, I'm in Vancouver here in uh, Canada. I don't know if you've been seeing the news. We've had a lot of stuff going on here in Canada with uh, truck convoys and so forth descending into the capital so it's actually quite um quite an eye-opening time for me i've only been over here for three years and uh the uh prime minister's put us under a state of emergency so um who knows what's going to happen but other than that <laughs> other than that i'm fine <laughs> well a man who's used to state of emergencies well especially in kiev and places like that is uh old man trev trev how are you doing I'm all right, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm good. Good. Still enjoying a cracking up 1-0 to the Arsenal from last week. Hoping that we can carry it forward into this weekend because, as somebody said to me today, we've got 16 cup finals left in our season and uh, we want to win them all, don't we? So, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it tonight with Stan and uh, seeing what he thinks as well. So, Stan, what's all these... Just before we move on, folks, I've got to ask Stan about these convoys and everything. Is it to do with um? Is it to do with COVID lockdown? Is it, mate? Well, just in a nutshell, um, we've got a lot of mandates over here in Canada, and Canada is split up into provinces, and each province has their own sort of leader. But you have the overall uh, prime minister. So a lot of the truckers, they all got started a convoy from um, Toronto, Ontario, and they drove all the way down to uh, Ottawa, which is where the parliament is. It looks really similar to English Parliament, actually. They've even got a big clock that looks similar to Big Ben and everything. So they've all gone down there, and they've been there for three weeks now. There's, um, you know, thousands of them down there. And basically what it what they want is they want the government to drop all um, COVID mandates and passports. But, you know, you have to remember that I, I would say 90% of these truckers are actually vaccinated. So they're not anti-vax. They just want to have people to make their own choice uh, for their own families, whether they want to have the injection or not. So that's been going on now for the past three weeks. And other trucks went down to uh, uh, a bridge in Alberta, which is one of the main uh, connections to the USA. And obviously there's like lots of uh, ex- import and export going across these bridges and they, they blocked them all off. So oh, it's wow. ongoing and the president has declared an, an, a, what they call like a state of emergency. They've moved a lot of the trucks from the Alberta Bridge now, but there's still, um, you know, a lot of the protesters down in in Ottawa. But what I can say is, from what I've seen, it's very peaceful. There's no fighting. There's no trouble. They're feeding the homeless. They're cleaning the streets. Um, they're, they're, they're singing. And their mantra is that, you know, they don't want any trouble with anyone. They just want to sit down and, and have a discussion and be heard. So it's just going to keep keep going, unfortunately, and nobody knows where it's quite going to end. Oh, right. Fine. Sounds, that sounds interesting, but, you know, a bit, a bit troublesome as well at the same time. We, we are seeing a little bit on the, the news over here, the, the bridge stuff, and um, the sit-down with music, um, uh, using music to try and 
make people go away and play the same song over and over again is 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 hitting the news over here and stuff like that. But yeah, there's probably something to do with Tawi is far more important than on, on, on the top of the news or something like that. So. <laughs> uh, Trev, um, I'm not sure if you remember this photograph being taken. Uh, this is uh, probably about five o'clock in the afternoon. We did start at two on the Towskies uh, in the hotel, and then we found this pub, um, the Clarendon Hotel Arms or the Clarendon, Clarendon Hotel in Wolverhampton. A few of us had a few drinks. Eighteen pounds for five pints of Guinness, Trev. You can't complain at that, can you? No, it was very reasonable. There were no complaints from me about the price of the beer, Fergus. It turned out to be a really good day, didn't it, from start to finish. And for once, a really good day wasn't ruined by 90 minutes of football, so it was actually a perfect day, yeah. It was a cracking hotel, got well looked after, yeah. No complaints whatsoever. So we're looking at looking at the, the Wolves game now, so the Wolves-Arsenal game. Uh, if we look at the lineups that we had there, we've got a lineup of Ramsdale, Obviously in goal, Cedric, because uh, Tommy Asi was injured, White, Gabriel, Tierney, Party and Shaka in the midfield, which is probably our strongest midfield we've got them at the moment. Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli and Lacazette. Um, Stan, what did you make of the lineup when you saw it? Were you, were you, you positive about it? And what did you make of that midfield pairing? It wasn't a surprise for me. Um, it's our strongest lineup, obviously, without Tommy Asu. I figured that he wouldn't, you know, mess around. I was hoping that he wouldn't mess around with the centre-back pairing and perhaps move... Um, ben White out onto the right side and bring in Holding. So it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I had no problem with it, to be honest. Trev, yeah. uh, we talked about it on the, on the day and we tried to do something on Facebook and it just didn't really work, did it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm much the same as Stan. I was, I was happy with the selection. I think that uh, it's interesting what Stan says about right back because I think credit where it's due. I think Cedric shows that he is capable of filling in against the right opposition. Cedric played very well indeed and was a, and was was a really good replacement for Tommy Yasu. And and the centre back pairing, Stan, it's interesting because as Fergus knows, we've spoke about the centre back pairing for years, years. And for me personally, the most important part of a defence is the defence that plays together regularly. Yeah. And we struggled to do that. We, we we chopped and changed for years after, after you know, the previous good years. And starting to show now that Gabriel and White are two young fellas. And if we keep them together for the next five or six seasons, they are going to be a key, if not the top, the, the main part of our football team. Because for me, having a sound centre-back pairing that you can trust, and you're halfway there, you know, you're halfway there. I'd agree with that. I'd actually go as far as to say that we've got a really good back five, including the goalkeeper. You know, both yeah. the fullbacks, Tierney and Tomiyasu, yeah. both seem very capable. And it's nice to be in a situation now where we can kind of, when we're looking at a team and where we need to rebuild, we can kind of forget that department now. Okay, yeah. Sleeve's going to come in for a backup, but we can maybe get another backup. But we kind of sorted in that position. So I'm really happy with the defence. Yeah, agree. My fear when we went into the Wolves game, my, my fear when we went into the Wolves game, and myself and Trevor spoke to some Wolves fans as well, uh, in our drunken stupor uh, before the game, um, uh, and we, we we were trying to do a prediction on uh, goal um, on uh, the goal prediction of what we went. I went for a one 0 to the Arsenal, probably more heart than head, but Trevor was being a bit more uh, realistic and saying uh, he couldn't see where the goals were coming from, and there was a guy in the pub. Wolverhampton fan, he, he went the same. He said, I don't see where the goals are coming from. Um, Wolves are very, very defensive, a really defensively strong team. 
Trevor, um, where did you, like, Lacazette's not shooting and, and, and the fear of, of, of Wolves um, being such a strong one. How did you feel the game went up, up until Gabby got that goal? See, I, I, you know, a lot of our, the section of our fans feel that with everybody fit that we have a very capable first 11. I'm of the opinion that we've got a very good first nine. I think we're really short yeah. in two areas, being up front and in the midfield. There's two changes that I would like to make. So I'm always um, really pleased when we come out of a game winning because I always believe that we've gone in week anyway, if that makes any sense, you know. So going into this one, I didn't see where the goals are coming from either. Um, I was looking at it maybe being a 1-1 one, one draw. Yeah. Okay, no, Trevor, but, um, apparently there's some problems with my internet, but carry on, Trev. Yeah, you're just breaking up a little bit, Fergus. You're just breaking up a bit, mate. Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, we, we all know where our issues lie amid, a, you know, a, a, a striker, and that showed itself again against Wolves. I didn't think that the issues in midfield showed themselves to, as, as they could have done because I thought that Xhaka and Party played really well. And I think, once again, as much as I worry about Xhaka, I think there's a partnership growing there, believe it or not. There genuinely is. Party seems to be improving game by game after a, after a, what was a dodgy start. You know, we, we were all unsure, but I've got no problems with Party now. Jacker played well, but we, we do lack that, that striker up front. It's, and, and we say every podcast, Lacazette works his socks off. Lacazette's a great lad. Lacazette finds the ball and holds it up and, 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 and buys us a bit of time even. But he's missed it. He don't take his chances and he's a striker. So, you know, that is our problem. We, we're desperate. We're desperate in the summer to buy a striker to take us to that, as Stan just said, to that 11 decent, to that 11 players on the field that we can trust, you know. So, oh. but we, we've got, we've got what we've got, right? We've got what we've got. We've got 16 games to go and I'm not unhappy with what we've got in the squad. I'm not unhappy. Not at all. Not at all. Trev, um, Lacazette proved a nuisance throughout the game. Like, you know, he he was unfortunate with that. Um, uh, that well, was he unfortunate with that miss? He was beating the offside trap quite a lot. He 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 um, beat it there. And Joe uh, Gunnar Joe says, miss proves we definitely need a striker in the summer. We can't rely on the Chucker brothers in Laka and Eddie. Um, you know, what... What what did you make of the miss in, in particular? Because that could have sealed the game. We'll go back to the, the goal afterwards, but if we just look at Lacazette because we're talking about him right now. Oh, you see, you know, Chuckle Brothers, I, I don't go down that road. They're, they're played for the Arsenal, so I don't go down that road. But for me, it, Lacazette, if he don't score there, it should be because the goalkeeper has saved it, you know? If, if, if he don't score, the goalkeeper should save that. He should. There's, there's, I can't think of any any excuse for him not getting a shot off on target. He's tried to bend it in that far corner, and he's gone wide. And a player of his experience, at his level, shouldn't be putting a chance like that off target when he's got that time as well. He had time, you know. He wasn't rushing. He had time. He should be at least, at the very worst, the goalkeeper should be saving it. And it's not a one-off either. That's the thing with Lacazette. It's not an isolated one-off incident. He's had um, several opportunities that you know that, that come to mind where he's just missed, you know, good chances. 
good bread and good bread and butter chances, which is what you want from your striker. If um, Stan, if 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 he wasn't offering all that other stuff that he does to the squad in the sense of the leadership for the youth and his track back and his work rate in that sense, do you think he'd be coming into justifiably more heavily criti- uh, more heavily criticised? Yes. He has a lot of support around the club, but for me, he's just missing that other part of the game, you know? And it, it, for me, it's when I hear the way that people talk about Lacazette in the way that you've just described him, for me, it's like I'm hearing Emil Heskey. You know, that's how Emil Heskey used to be described a lot when he played at Liverpool. And that's not the sort of forward that me personally, I want in the team. I want to have a striker that's capable of getting at least around about 15 goals a season. You know, I don't want us to be relying on wingers and people in midfield to supply all of the goals. They've got to chip in. And we've had so many seasons where we have been reliant on the striker. And it's good to see that other areas of the, you know, other players in other areas of the pitch are now scoring. But we need to have a striker that can bring you at least 15 goals in the, in the, in the league for me. And I just don't think he's able to do that. I mean, when I look at Lacazette, one of the reasons that he came in was because we felt that we had to upgrade on Giroud. A lot of people are saying that they like Giroud, but he couldn't take us to that next level, that next level that people always talk about. But if you look at Lacazette's um, stats in the time that he's been here, he hasn't, I don't think he's ever gone above what Giroud has ever done in the season. So it's been around about the same. And when we brought him in for the amount of money that we brought him in for, about 55 million, he was given the number nine shirt and must have been under the impression that he was going to be the main man at Arsenal. But then six months later, for whatever reason, we went out and spent a little bit more and brought in a Bamiyang. And I've kind of felt to myself, I wonder if Lacazette's always felt a little bit in the shadow of a Bamiyang, up until the point that a Bamiyang has now been omitted from the team. And we're seeing a lot more from Lacazette, maybe not in the goal sense but you know he hasn't down tools he's working hard he seems to be enjoying having the mantle as captain and maybe he's just stepped out of a Bamiyang shadow but a little bit too late because his scoring powers seem to have waned considerably quite valid points there Trevor don't you think yeah absolutely I I mean I always used to say when Lacazette was first bought and first came in he, he he didn't get a run from Wenger at all. He didn't get a run from Wenger at all. He was substituted almost every game and, uh, or he, or he wasn't picked. He was picked as a sub. And so it did get your mind thinking what's happening here, what's going on here. Um, but, you know, he's, 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 he's not, we've talking about the goal scorers you see, and we mentioned it before. We've been short of goal scorers across the top level, top of the park. And, it's a massive part of our improvement this year. And then that we found, if you want, like we found a current day Merson and Parler in, in like Smith Rowe and Saka and even Odegaard, not so many, but you can see Odegaard's got a goal in him. But Smith Rowe and Saka are going to score eight, 10, 12 goals this season each, you know? So that we've improved vastly in that area because goals haven't been coming from there recently. So we've now got goals coming. We just need that striker. And, and I'd, go a bit, I'd go a bit beyond Stan here in that I don't want a 15-goal-a-year striker. I want a guaranteed 20-goal-a-year striker, mate. <laughs> you know? I don't, think that's, I don't think that's too much to ask in this day and age. We can find them. They're out there. The trouble is 
people know we're looking for one now. So these agents are going to be like, yeah, I'll find you a, a 20 goal a year striker, but whatever he costs you, he's giving me 10 million of it, you know? So it's really difficult for the Arsenal now. Um, I would honestly like to, we're, we're in a funny position now, aren't we? Because we, fourth place is in our own hands. Hmm. So now they're thinking, oh, maybe we don't want to experiment quite as much. We're going to have to stick with the, what experience we have got for the rest of the season. So if Lacazette will see the season out, playing up front, I would think. With Eddie as his backup, I, I, I don't have any confidence in young Eddie. I wish I did. I hope he plays the rest of the season and proves me wrong. But he just don't seem to have his heart in playing for Arsenal at the minute. And no. when you think about it, players not having it or, or appearing to not have their heart in to play for the Arsenal has been our problem for years, you know. And, and we don't want that coming back because Arteta's worked hard to clear that out, you know. So, yeah, it's, it okay. is our main problem. Players that do, did put their heart on the sleeve and did put it on, on, on the pitch and leave it on the pitch for Arteta and for the travelling fans was the goal scorer, um, uh, Gabriel. Now he got one goal, uh, one, two tackles, three fouls and five clearances. But he and Ben White in defence were outstanding. Um, ben White started off... It, took, it looked like Ben took a little bit to get into the game, but once he got into the game, was was absolutely outstanding. You, you always have to say that about White, don't you? You know it. You know it stirs me up a bit, Fergie boy. You know it stirs me up a bit. Ben White didn't take a while to get into the game, in my opinion. Ben White and Gabriel were great from the start, and as as, as Dan rightly said, it wasn't just about them two against Wolves. It was about a good old fashioned Arsenal backs to the wall, a back five, and and a back four in front of a goalkeeper that 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 four are confident in. That's massive. If a back four are confident in the goalkeeper behind them, that that that's huge, and that's that really shows. And what else we've got to add to it? Not only the back five we had on the field, but when we had to bring on that extra defender because we lost the player, we brought Holding on, and Holding in the nineteen or twenty minutes he was on the field, weren't far that's off of getting man of the match for me. weren't far off of getting man yeah. of the match. We'll come back to Holding, but just just on on. Um... Uh, going back on the striker options again, just because um, Richard from moving over uh, again, the, the, the Arsenal podcast is, but Man City uh, goals come from the wide with Sterling and Mahrez. Um, uh, and this is style that probably Arteta has learned from Peck. Um, uh, Stan, do you, do you see us getting a 20, 30 goal a season striker? Or do you think we're going to have this false nine and try and adapt some of the stuff he's learned at, at City? I'm, I'm one of those that the way that they do the false nine thing um, up at Man City, it seems to work f for them. It worries me, though, that because it's Pep doing it, and obviously Pep is seen as one of the greatest managers, that it's going to trickle down and become regular habit with other teams. You know, I don't believe that, that strikers are defunct, personally. I think they're still important to the game. And, yeah, I would agree with exactly what Trev said. You need to have a striker that's going to score you that 20 goals a season for me. I don't want us to go into that that way of playing and be reliant on the wingers because then you've got to go out and find people like a Salah and a Mane. So you can't have it both ways, you know. Do you think that Saka's going to be scoring 20 goals a season or ESR? No. Maybe later on in their future, but not right at the moment. <clears throat> 
I also think that when we do bring in a striker, I'd like it to be someone that's got some experience as well, because I think that's something that we are lacking in this team. And Lacazette's that old head, and he's going to go. I'd like him to be replaced with somebody maybe a couple of years younger than Lacazette, but we're going to need more than one striker. We've got three strikers that are going to be leaving us potentially. So between now and next January, we're going to have to bring in three more. And I'd like one of those to be a leader, someone who's a little bit mature, really? somebody that's been who's around. A couple of... Say again. I've got... Who's the third? Lacazette and Eddie. Who's the third one? Well, Aubameyang's gone. So we've lost three strikers, right? Oh, so okay, we had okay, four, okay. we had four on our books. We basically left. We're going to be left with uh, one, which is Balogun. So I think okay. that we need to bring. I think that we need to bring in three strikers. You know, one of those I think I, I, I would I, like. I, I can't see us doing that, but I, I can see us possibly bringing in two. And like you, I'd like somebody who's got some Premier League experience. Uh, uh, Bojan at uh, Southampton has been uh, muted uh, recently. Uh, who's getting some experience down there? Unlikely that Chelsea will sell him to us. Um, but then you got um, uh, DCL at Everton as well, who might suit the style of play with the crosses coming in from uh, the likes of um, Tierney and Tommy Asu. Um, on the subject of crosses, Wolverhampton bombarded our box with 35 crosses, uh, but they just couldn't couldn't finish anything. And if we look at the stats on on the game overall, they had 59 possession, we had 41 percent possession. Uh, they had 11 attempts off target, four on target, 10 versus two. Um, but the one stat that's not on there is um, the yellow cards. Like Arsenal had tested Michael Oliver's pa patience, um, apparently, but but playing um, by playing the old-fashioned game of you know working the clock, working every foul. Everybody does it to Arsenal, and we moan. And when we do it to them, um, it just really is annoying that. You know, other other teams come along and go. Well, that's typical Arsenal, same old Arsenal, always cheating and everything else. Um, Trevor, what did you uh, make of the style and the tactics and the digging in and and you know the gamesmanship? Let's use it that word. What did you make of that? Right. You loved it, didn't you? Well, for, listen, when the when the opposition fans start singing same old Arsenal, always cheating, it puts the biggest biggest smile on my face. <laughs> Because it means we're up, we're at it, we're at them, we're winning, we, we we really are playing well. As for the statistics, Fergus, you can stick those statistics right where the sun don't shine. Not you personally, I'm talking about in general, because it was a battling, proper 1-0 to the Arsenal, right? It was how it always used to be. And I'm not saying we need to go back to that regularly, but there are times when you do. Wolverhampton Wanderers have got the second best defence in the league, right? They can't score goals, but they don't let any in, right? And we went down there, we nicked a goal, and then we said, that's it, we stand firm now. And we stood firm. So the statistics can do one. The opposition fans, I hope they're singing same old Arsenal always cheating for every minute of every game for the rest of the season, Fergus, because that means we are playing well. We're playing well. It was, it was. I can't fault the performance. You know, I read on, on social media, not many people, but one or two people were saying, yeah, we've won a game 1-0, but... Yeah, we've won a game 1-0, but... Listen, when we have a 1-0 like that, away to a team like Wolves, who would have gone above us if they'd beat us, then, they're, you know, they're right in it. There's no buts about it. You come away for a week, right, and you enjoy having a 1-0 win against one of your fellow challengers for the position you want in the league. That's it. There's no buts, no ifs.
Arsenal, Arsenal always cheating. Yeah, I don't care. Sing it every week. Oh, I love it. Love it. Stan, oh, did the, I have a rant then? <laughs> Stan, they, uh, Arsenal weren't the only ones um, using tactics and heavy-handed tactics. Wolves were given as good as they got, didn't you think? I actually think that we are, we outwolved Wolves. And it, just before Martinelli saw red, I was in the kitchen making a sandwich and I had a big smile on my face. And I was thinking to myself, because I was doing a podcast just afterwards and I couldn't wait to speak to Danny. And I was like, this is one of the best games I've seen us play in ages. It's not one of the prettiest games. It's one of the best games I've seen Arsenal play in ages. Because for so long, that style of game that we played, we've not had that in our tool bag for ages. There's so many times that I've seen teams come to our place and they stop us from playing the way that we want to play at home. They get in our faces, they time waste, they they niggle us about and we never change our tactics. We carry on trying to play the same way and it always, we always end up with egg on our face. So to see us play ugly like that, I loved it because you don't want to play like that every single week, but there are going to be times and places when you need to pull out performances like that. And it's good to see that the players that they've got together there, they understand that and they can do it. And I think that a lot of the youngsters will take a lot away from that game and they should feel really good about themselves at the way that they got through that. Because about a season ago, that, that would have been curtains. You know, that would have been curtains for us and we would have lost that. And the, fir- oh, the first game I saw, the first game I saw, I started to dig in like that was this season and it was Gabriel and where I thought Gabriel could possibly be captain material. And it was away to Burnley, another big team that would normally bully us into a 1-0 or a draw or, or something like that. And we overcame Burnley, and we beat Burnley with a similar sort of um, raison d'etre as I speak for a podcast, isn't it? Um, that, uh, like style um, for like of play than Wolves. Wolves are probably a better quality uh, team. But the problem that uh, this young side need to remember is when they are playing that type of ta- tactics that they, that they don't let the heads uh, overrule um, their hearts. Now Martinelli was. Subject to a, a a pretty a pretty harsh tackle, and probably felt aggrieved that uh, he didn't that he wasn't given a penalty or a yellow, uh, sorry a, a foul or a yellow card for that tackle. And subsequently, a few minutes later, um, this happened. And I'll just play out the, the, the couple of things, and hopefully we don't get done by YouTube. That's yellow card number one. He stores it up, and seconds later, there's yellow card number two. Can he do that? Can you, have you not got to show in the yellow card for the first for the first decision? So, first of all, Trevor, what did you make? It was diff- difficult for us to see it when we were because we're on the opposite side of the ground. But what did you make? You've seen it since. What did you make of um, the tackles? Uh, like the, the petulant one of pushing the guy who's taking the throw in, I think is probably probably the worst one. Running off and taking a yellow for a guy who's maybe one on one with the keeper. You know, sometimes you take one for the team, but the first one, I think. What, what, what did you make of it, Trev? Well, look, folks, it, it's, it's quite a simple one for me, this. It, it's, it's making lots of headlines, rightly making lots of headlines. But it's really simple one for me. Um, you know, if firstly, it, both of those offences were yellow card offences, right? We can't argue that. They're both yellow card offences, right? And at the time at the game, I, I didn't have a clue. I thought, what's going on? How's he got sent off there? I couldn't work it out. But as you say, when we watched it back, 
They're both yellow card offences. So I, if, if he wants to give him two yellow cards for that, right, I've got no problem with it. But the only way I've got no problem with it would be if it was now consistently done, right? I, I've There's been clips shown on social media and on TV this week, and there's hundreds, no, hang on, thousands of situations in a game of Premier League football where a player has made two fouls and got a yellow card, right? So that was the level, right? That was the level. Michael Oliver, in his wisdom, has now, it's like, like being in court and you, you set a precedent by making a decision. My, for me, Michael Oliver has now set a precedent. It's gone ping and it's gone ping. Two yellow card offences. I've not shown a yellow card. You're off for that, right? I was fuming when I first thought about it, and I still am, if I'm honest. But what it does me is that one word, and I've said it before again and again, consistency. There's no consistency in what these referees do. It seems to be one rule for the Arsenal and one rule for the rest. And they need to sort it, and they need to sort it quickly. So it was two yellow card offences. How he's come to the red, I don't know, because it's never been done before. And it'll probably never be done again, because it won't happen to the Arsenal. But, you know, and that's about all I can say, Fergus. I can't figure it out. But he has set a precedent now. And we will be looking for consistency. Well, the, 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 my my view on it uh, is probably very similar in the sense that I had an issue with that there are both fouls, individually the fouls. But um, it, 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 if it's done all the time, then you accept it. But normally what happens is somebody commits a foul, the, rest of, uh, the ref will blow up the whistle, they kick the ball away, which again is a foul in itself. So they should, in theory, get two yellow cards uh, for kicking the ball away after the referee has blown his whistle. But they don't. They come back and say, in this scenario, I think the, the, that Michael Oliver should have said, "I've got your card, Mark. Next time, uh, you're you're you know you're off." Stan, Absolutely. I'll play the, the sequence in the background. What do you think? It's hard to it's hard to disagree with what Andy Townsend said. Uh, just a moment ago, like surely the referee should be showing him for the first defence. If they're both yellows, he should have stopped the play and raised the card. If he's let it go on and he's, and he's let it go, he's letting that first one go and then getting him for the second, then he should do exactly what you said, Fergus. Say, look, I saw what you did back there. You know, I let it go, but I'm not letting any more go. Next one and you're off. That just oh, seems yeah. to be, you know, but this is a this is a this is an example where I would now like to see the referee come out after the match with a microphone in front of him so that we can understand what's in his mind. He should be able to come out and tell us why he took the course that he did, so that us as fans and everybody else can understand. You know, they there should be a more accountability from the ref side. We should be able to have them out and explain explain their views. But instead the final whistle goes, they scuttle off down a tunnel. And that's the end of it. I mean, I, I, I heard that one of the bookings was for dissent. And I've looked at the replay, and when you see, uh, when you see uh, if, that's, if that's the truth, if one of those yellow cards are for dissent, when he goes over and gives him the card, Martinelli doesn't say anything. He's got his mouth open and his shoulders up. I watched to see whether he was giving any verbals, and that's why he gave him a card. But I didn't see any of that. So... I don't understand it. I'll take got rid of the footage from the, the stuff in here, but um, the looking at it, he points to the to the throw in one and he points to the barge. So I think that there's nothing about um, 
that about about uh, dissent whatsoever. But the narrative goes on about dirty, dirty Arsenal. And when you look at this, Arsenal have made um, the most, uh, the second least amount of fouls in the league this season, 189 fouls in 22 games. But Arsenal have the most red cards in the league this season, four red cards in 22 games. Trevor, Northern Bias? Uh, it's... It just confirms to me what we... You have to be so careful what you say, even on a little old podcast like ours, you have to be careful what you say. But, you know, we all remember what happened at the Man City game, and it's interesting. Stan was dead right earlier and spoke about the way Man City played with the two wide men, and they scored their goals. The only team I've really... I've watched Man City a lot this year because I like watching them play football. The only team that's really worked that out this year was the Arsenal. And we we lost the game against Man City, not because Man City played better football than us or played it round us. We, we lost the game against Man City because the referee was abysmal in, in the way he refereed the game. And so it does stink of, a, of some kind of remit against the Arsenal. I, I know that the referees will say that's not the case, but, but who knows? You know, who knows? I'm so angry with, with the fact that We've got one of the worst referees that, that ever refed football matches in Mike Riley, the one who was never held accountable and never had to explain any of his terrible, terrible games he had, is now in charge of the referees that are having terrible games and making terrible decisions. Come on, even someone like me with, with only a mediocre amount of intelligence could see that there's a pattern developing there. And the pattern will keep going until someone strikes a line through it and starts again with it, you know? It's not hard to work out. It really isn't. The, the, and it's inconsistency. I watched some games at the weekend at all levels, and there was players making fouls left, right and centre. There was one game where a, where, where, where a, a player's had a little tug on a shirt and he's got a yellow. There's another game where a bloke's ripped a shirt off, or off a player's back He's not got a card. The inconsistency is embarrassing. And these are professional match officials. Professional match officials. Full-time, paid a lot of money. We don't have a VAR ref now. We have two VAR refs. There's enough of them to get things right and to become consistent. Yeah? And it's not happening. You know, if... It, if, if you say that, if, if one of us three sat in that VAR box this weekend and we saw a shirt being pulled and the referee didn't book him, didn't book him for it, the first thing that had come into my head is, hang on a minute, last week, um, Joe Bloggs got booked for that. Uh, ref, ref, you need to look at booking that player for that. We need to be consistent with our decisions, you know. I'm clutching at straws, but that's the way I see it. it, it it's awful, these referees. So you bought, I bought back the, I bought back the um, the Man City game there because, you know, the referee cost us that for the first ten minutes. Man City played us off the park, you know, and suddenly our young lads, our young lads clicked against Man City and they realised how to nullify them, how to stop them. They they shut down the two, they shut down Mares and Sterling out wide quickly. And we played Man City off the park because they had nowhere else to go. It was wonderful football to watch. And the referee did us out of that game, did us badly. So I'm still fuming with that. And now I've just lit my bloody fuse again tonight. So I'm ranting. <laughs> I'll let you boys get a word in. 
Anything to add on that, Stan? Not really. It's hard to put a cherry on the top of that one. Isn't it just? <laughs> isn't it just? I'll tell you what. Arteta did put a little cherry on top of it. Um, with down to 10 men, he decided to do a tactical change and he brought on Rob Holding. Oh, yeah. Trevor alluded to earlier on. He could have possibly, in the 19 minutes that he was on there, um, he made uh, nine clearances, one block, and 100% won his duels. Um, he could have had a man of match, um, probably, if he had had more minutes, he could have probably been man of the match. What did you make of his performance? And as a squad player, you know, is, is he shouting for, a, you know, a position in, in, in this starting 11? Well, Rob Holden, at the end of the day, you have to have more than 11 first-teamers. You have to have a squad. And Rob Holden seems to be someone that accepts his place in the squad, as does Elneny and as did Callum Chambers. And sometimes they're the players that you need to keep hold of who understand what's going on at the club and understand what their role is and will come in and give you a good performance when needed. I always felt that Callum Chambers was, was quite similar in that respect. And I also feel the same way about Elneny. I know Elneny gets a lot of grief, but he, you know, if he's, if Elneny and Rob Holding are only 70% of your best players in their positions, when they do play, they give you all of that 70%, if that makes any sense, you know. They, they mm. don't sort of shirk and, and give you less than what they're about. So it's good to have squad players like that. And I'm really pleased for Rob Holding. He came on and he was in there straight away. He was blocking and getting busy as, as soon as he got on the pitch. That no, was really good. Yeah. Really good. Trevor, um, afterwards, uh, after the game, um, we all celebrated uh, in, in the stands. It was 1-0 to the, the Arsenal. Underneath the stands on the way out, it was 1-0 to the Arsenal. But um, some of the Wolves players came out and said that um, the Arsenal players celebrated like they won the Champions League. Is that, you know, should we have a sip with a pint of tears again, should we? Now, Fergus, it doesn't matter. I can't make out what the big hoo-ha is about it. Wolves players were bitter because they Wolves players went out onto that field on Thursday night thinking they're going to turn the Arsenal over, they're going to go above the Arsenal and it's going to kickstart the rest of their season. Well, none of that happened. None of that happened. They come up against a team full of fight, full of battle, that nicked a goal and then stood firm with 10 men. So let them moan, let them whinge. It's none of my business what they want to say. We've all said about we've all said things like that before. I have, you know. I mean, we we did it, we, you know, we did it ourselves. So the Wolves fans let them say what they want to say. You know, they're bitter in the heat at the moment. No one is worse in the heat at the moment than me, as you well know, Fergus. You know, so I've got no problem with it, no problem at all. But talking of celebrating, mate, listen. At the end of that game, at the end of that game. The, the link, the connection between the players on the field and the fans that were in the stands celebrating together, it felt like one, Fergus. It, it felt like one. It felt to me like them, them players wanted to be on that field, wanted to celebrate with us. That's not happened in years gone by. Then, then, then all, every player hasn't come across, you know, Arteta, Arteta as well gets involved. And as a fan, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. And it must make the players feel good. And I'm sure that's got to be a massive part of our improvements this season. I'm sure it has. And you know what the, the, the beautiful thing was? When all those Wolves players went back to their dressing room and they were in the shower or the bath or whatever, they would have hearing the Arsenal fans 
like, and, the, and the Wolves fans leaving the stadium. And this is what they would have heard. It really was. It made my it made my neck tingle when I heard that there. That's why I got my phone out and recorded it. It was just I've heard one nil to the Arsenal sang many many a time, but I've never heard it sung like I haven't been away to a one nil like that game because uh, I've only gone to more more away games of recent times. But I've not heard one nil sang like that in in a long long time. Have you, Tred? Yeah, well, not you weren't around in the George Graham era, mate. In the George Graham era, it's no, regular, right. <laughs> you know. Um, but when you've got this, is what happens, Fergus. When you've got a defence that plays well and stays solid, like we've got, yeah, you get a lot of one nils because you can go one nil up and you can rely on your your defence to, to hold that one nil. And hopefully, I want to see. I'd be more than happy to see another sixteen one nils this season. I'll be more than happy to see another 16 boring one. Make them boring one nils. Make them terrible, awful games that are difficult to watch and there's no there's no flair in them and there's no wingers bounding up and down the touchlines. But we nick a goal and we sit back and win one nil. I don't care. I'm an Arsenal fan. I support the team. Win one nil. Last 16 games of the season, I'll take it. Um, final question on the Wolves game, Stan. Listening on TV, how did it come across? Did it come across like the Arsenal were in town and we made lots of noise. Well, I was, it was one of those games where I was watching it in the house on my own and the, miss, the missus was out and I was really caught up in the game. And the, the emotion that I felt when the final whistle went, I felt relief, you know, like, yeah, relief. And I'm sure that's what the players must have been feeling as well. And I'm sure the fans there because, you know, they were really, they were really on us. We were down to 10 men. You know, and when I saw that there was an extra five minutes being added on, I was thinking, oh, no, it's not over yet. Anything can happen in those last five minutes. And the ball was pinging about, you know, we were just we were holding on. And I think I even tweeted out, just hang on in there. Just hang on in there. So when that final when that final whistle blew, I just felt relief, you know, and I was, yeah, and my, my arms were up in the air because I was so relieved. And I'm sure that must have been beside. what you were seeing from the team when they all came together. And brilliant, as you say, that everybody felt as one. It must have been fantastic. I, I, I was with uh, our friend Terry um, around the halfway line for the second half. Um, and from about the 83rd minute, I was just looking at my phone going, right, and then about five minutes up, and I'm just trying to figure out when. And as uh, C. Osborne said, the last five minutes, uh, you know, his, he was sitting at home and he was, his heart was gone through his mouth. And Ben, uh, Ben, who was there with us, said the last ten minutes felt like an hour. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it was, and I think that probably made it even. It, it felt like, as Trevor's been saying, sixteen cup finals, and it did, it did feel like a cup final uh, towards the end of it at, at that game. But we're going to look at the Brentford game. So Arsenal versus Brentford. We played Brentford at three o'clock on a Saturday. Wow, shock hour. That is an unusual thing. Trevor, uh, you're coming to the game, aren't you? Yes, I'm. Ferg, I've got to make an admission first. About the end of the Wolves God. game, right? Uh, for the last 10 minutes before before extra time, I didn't watch, couldn't watch. 
I'm nearly 60 years old, right? I've been to thousands of games of football and I still get nervous about my wonderful football club. I, I just I, I, unbelievably nervous and I care so much about the Arsenal. I don't know why I do, I just do. That's me. It's been all my life, you know, and I'm going to hold my hands up and say, for, I, I went out for a wee at about 80 minutes and I stood on the concourse till 90 minutes. I couldn't go back in. I couldn't face it. And then when the 90 minutes come up, I thought, right, I'll go back in now. Stone of Crows, they've had it five minutes on. I didn't know what to do. I was uh, <laughs> I was in bits, you know. So, But in that's how it is. With the, amount, with the amount of beer that we drank, uh, I think it would probably take 10 minutes to have a pee. Um, Heath has commented that um, uh, both of us were, were uh, absolutely obliterated when we got back to the hotel. That's probably following on from the little bit of Facebook we did. Um, I wasn't too bad. I'd recovered by that stage, but I didn't have a drink once we got into the ground. But Jesus Christ, did we warm up before that game? Oh, that was um, that was a powerful warm up, indeed. So, listen, Brentford um, seems to have turned a corner for a nil-nil draw versus Palace. We'll have no Martinelli. So, would you start Pepe up top, Stan? No, I've, I've heard people talk about talk about that experiment on on various podcasts but for me if he's struggling to get to get on in his in his regular place I don't see that Mikel is going to use him in a place out of his natural position and I think it's an experiment that Bielsa tried before with him uh, at Lille that was originally the plan for him and it was experimented with and it was they decided to scrap it so it wouldn't be something it wouldn't be something that I would do. But looking at that Brentford game, I would like to say that this is one that I really I'll be waiting to play these again because I didn't enjoy that first game of the season at all, at all. You know the excuse that oh they're a team that's just come up, they've got a new stadium. So what? We should be able to have got three points or at least a draw against Brentford. So I'm really hoping that we put that right. And some of the Brentford players they were quite mouthy after that game on social media. So I really would like to, um, you know, stuff that one back at them. So I'm looking forward to that one. Trev, Pepe up front, or do you try maybe this young Amari Hutchinson? He's an 18-year-old. He's doing really, really well. He could be the next one out of Hale End. Fergus, uh, he's a young striker. Fergus, it's a no-brainer. I don't, I don't get what we're discussing here. Martinelli is not available. Smith Rowe comes in. It's... It's a no-brainer. Smith Rowe comes in. Uh, uh, you, you might have to move Odegaard one side or Smith Rowe one side, but that's what happens. You know, Smith Rowe is our, is our next best player. He, he, you know, he's, he's a fantastic young lad. Imagine, uh, you never know what Arteta's going to do, right? You never know. He does have this habit of make, giving us a bit of a shot with a team selection. But put yourself in Smith Rowe's shoes now, right? He's been patiently sitting on the subs bench for the last few games. He's been coming on again a few minutes. He's not complained. He comes on, plays his heart out, scores the odd goal. And then when Martinelli's uh, suspended, he don't pick Smith Rowe. What's that going to do to Smith Rowe? Nah, nah, for me, you've got to play Smith Rowe. Martinelli gone, Smith Rowe in, youngsters on the bench, Pepe on the bench. And, um, and, and that's it for me. And, you know, Stan just said about the start of the season against Brentford, and, and you're exactly right, Stan, but Ferguson and myself were at that game. I had to put up with Ferguson for a full 90 minutes, Stan. It was horrible, right? But but there was there was something wrong that night. I mean, we never had any strikers, right? We had Balogun and Eddie up front, right? 
and, and neither of them were at the standard that we require. I think that there would have been a bit of COVID through the team. I don't know. We just weren't at the ball That's game. Right. We didn't we didn't have the back five that we've got now. That's all changed. So we're a different Arsenal side. And I will honestly be very, very shocked if we don't beat Brentford on Saturday at three o'clock. Very shocked. And to be honest, looking at the stats with Smith Rowe, you are right. He's our, he's, uh, sorry, let's get that uh, comment off there. Sorry, he, comment's got to go. Uh, so he is um, the top goal scorer with eight goals, Saka with six, and Ivan Tony at Brentford. Uh, this is in, in, in the league. Um, uh, um, Ivan Tony has got six goals as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Stan, um, if we look at uh, Christian Eriksen, um, ex-Tottenham player, um, fortunate enough he didn't uh, take a, you know, die on that pitch in, in the Euros. Uh, he's back. Uh, Brentford have taken a punt on him. He could make his debut um, against, um, against Arsenal. Do you see him as one of their major threats? Is that, well, you know, I've always he's always a player that I liked. I used to live in Amsterdam and used to know of him when he was uh, when he was playing at Ajax. Um, I was a little bit surprised when uh, Spurs got him for as little as they paid for him. So I've always liked him, and he can be dangerous. You know, he's he's getting on a little bit now. You know, I think he's gone a little bit past his peak, but he's a he's a handy player, and I think he'll be handy for a team like Brentford. Uh, Trevor, what's your thoughts on on um, predictions for this fight? If we look at look at the form for the the, the, the teams, um, Arsenal have lost one, drawn one, and won three in the last five, and all Brentford has done is drawn one out of the last five. What are you looking at? Uh, I think we know where you're going to go. One nil to the Arsenal. Um, what are you, what are you hoping for as a, a score for for us on Saturday? Firstly, we've just, I've just got to add my 20 seconds on Christian Eriksen. Um, don't matter where he's played in the past, it don't know, don't matter the fact that he played for that lot of the road. I just hope he's well. I just hope he comes back and plays football and plays well. Not too well if he plays on Saturday. And I just hope the man has, has recovered and, and he get, man, gets his career back on the road. Because what he went through, you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Um, as for Saturday, Fergus, as I said, I, I'm possibly wrong. I'm off and am, but I can't see us losing this game on Saturday. It's, it's. Uh, um, I just think we'll be too strong for them all over the park. You know, if 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 the Arsenal that played against Wolves turn ups against Brentford, you all know, we all know that we've seen some great performances and then we go and lose. Uh, you know, to, to with the same team and you, you can't work it out in your head, but. We, we should beat Brentford. It's a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. The beautiful wife's coming with me, Ferg. We'll be down in London early Saturday morning. We're going to go to the game. We're going to go and watch a band afterwards, which I'll mention at the end. Then we're stopping over and we're going to have a nice, a nice Sunday in London, a bit of dinner somewhere and that. And uh, so it's going to be a perfect weekend, rounded off with an Arsenal win. I'm sure. Stan, what are you going for uh, prediction-wise? I'm going to go for three 0 to Arsenal. Wow! I think I think that we're going to score a few goals. And we're not going to let any goals come up. We're not going to. I agree with you with with the clean sheet. I'd I'd go with the clean sheet myself, but I can't see us scoring three goals. Where are the three goals coming from? 
ESR, Saka, maybe a cheeky one from Gabriel from a set piece. Okay, okay. I'll go with... Odegaard is what I was thinking of on, on a set piece and maybe maybe um, Saka, uh, Saka or more likely Smith Rowe getting one as well. I'm going with Danny. Uh, I'm going with a 2-0 to the Arsenal. Um, final topic really of the evening is more about the league. Have I given my prediction? Have I given my prediction? I think I fell asleep. Have I given my prediction? Go on then, give your prediction. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) He does this to me every time. Oh, Ferg, who knows? I, I think, I think, right, Lacazette will score a goal on Saturday. I think Lacazette will score a goal on Saturday. And I think either Saka or Smith Rowe or Odegaard will score one as well. And one three nil. Three nil. Yeah. Um please let Lacka score. I want Lacka to score. I want I love the man. And you know, I talk about him all the time as missing as missing chances and and not scoring enough goals, but I don't mean I don't love the man. I love his effort and everything. So I want lack of score badly, badly. Um, the last thing we want to talk about is the league. Uh, we're currently sitting at sixth in the league with 22 games played and only one point behind West Ham, who are in fourth place, and uh, eight points behind Chelsea, which are in third place, both of which have played 24 games. We've got to we've got to play Chelsea as well. Um, uh, we've got to play West Ham, um, and we've also got to play Liverpool away. Uh, sorry, Liverpool at home and Tottenham away as games in hand. Uh, some of those um, is top four in our hands, Stan. Oh, of course, it's it's well within our hands. I, th- I I think. I mean, Man United are playing today, aren't they? They're playing Brighton today. Yes, they are. Right? They're playing as we, as we speak. I think they've got. I think they've got problems there. It's definitely within our hands. They've got problems at Man United. I think. I don't think those problems are going to get ironed out anytime soon. Sorry, I'm just getting a message coming through on the um, the, the, the fans forum meeting that's going on with the, the owners. I'll, I'll be able to give you some information on that, Trev. Um, what's your your thoughts on the top four position? Um, what's happening? Uh, where, is top four in our, in, in our grasps? If we don't get there, um, what's acceptable? Fergus, of course it's in our own hands. We, if we win the rest of our games, we finish fourth, possibly third. You know, the, the mathematics say that it's in our own hands. If we win all our games, we don't lose. We're not going to win all our games, but I hope we lose less than the others around us. The, the point for me about finishing fourth, Fergus, is really interesting, as I think, well, you know, at the start of the season, Arsenal were 13, oh, they might have been more at one time, but I saw they were 13 to 2 to finish in the top four of the Premier League. And I thought, well, I fancy some of that, 13 to 2 to finish in the top floor. And I put a few quid on. I put more than a few quid on, actually. I'm not going to divulge how much I put on, but I had a good wedge on Arsenal to finish top four in the Premier League. And up until about five or six weeks ago, they were offering me nothing. Now, the bookmakers are offering me a very healthy cash-out sum to take me money now and run, which means that they think we are right in for top four. So mm. it's sitting there, my money, and I'm not taking it out. But, yeah, it's 
The bookmakers think we're in with a cracky shout. I think we're in with a cracky shout. If the Arsenal turn up week in, week out for the rest of the season like we played against Wolves, we will finish fourth. If we don't, you know, if if the inconsistency, the ups and downs, if the if the Everton's and Man United performances rear their heads again, then obviously we won't finish fourth. So, um, you know, let's hope that we've turned a corner and we're going to put together the next eight, ten games. We're going to have a really good run of consistent performances. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think fourth is on. Um, uh, I'll accept sixth uh, because that's what I accept as the minimum standard. At the beginning of this uh, season, I, I saw it as improvement getting to a proper European competition rather than the, the conference competition. Um, I'd also like to finish above Spurs, so you know that that would be another caveat I put on there. But fourth seriously is on for us. I then think we need to, would have to do some huge investment to make the team good enough to uh, to challenge in the Champions League to get past group stages and and progress back to where at least half the level we were before, which is getting out of the around the 16 and, and so on on there. Look, the final couple of things I'm going to talk about is um, we've all talked about the stadium that is looking a little bit tired. And we talked about the outside with the crests. Uh, there's been comments made about the screens, the tannoy systems and everything else. Uh, there's currently a meeting going on with the Arsenal uh, fans for, forum. And they're talking about lots of things, including tickets, season tickets, and, and some other bits and pieces to encourage more and more people to use their um, the seats and how they're going to encourage young people and have that good churn of fans coming through. There's, But um, I haven't got too much on that, or I can't talk about too much of that. Um, but the one thing that has been confirmed or has been told to me is the roof has been redone and will start in the next few months. Uh, it will take about a year to complete the whole thing. Lots of stuff getting done outside the stadium. The crest and the banners are going to be renewed. I've also heard, and this is aside from this, that they're considering putting digital boards out the front, which would help with uh, possibly add revenue and if they had different functions going on in there they could change it to be a Bruce, Spring con Bruce Springsteen concert or whoever is playing and so on. Um, uh, better screens inside the stadium, new tannoy system being, uh, um, being put in place and Trevor this will interest you, more places to buy beer. They're talking about more places and better service. So if that happens they are starting to listen to us, wouldn't you say Trev? Yeah, I sound like I'm contradicting everything that's going on tonight, but I, you know me, I only speak as I find. Firstly, I don't care what the stadium looks like outside. Couldn't care less. I don't care what it looks I don't go to look at the outside of the stadium. I go to watch a game of football played in it. You know, secondly, the big screens in the tannoy. I've never had any problem with the big screens. We had one that weren't working for a while, but now it's fixed. The big screens in the tannoy are fine with me. I can hear it all and I can see it all. So, you know, I've got no problem with that. And, you know, we'd all like to get a beer quicker out of football. We'd all like to get a beer quicker out of football. But Arsenal, for me, has got the best concourse in the league. There's none better. You queue up at half-time and you, you queue up before the game for a beer, but, you know, you're lucky to be able to queue. A lot of grounds you go to, you just go thinking, I'll never get a drink in there. It won't happen. You can't get near the place, you know. So, yeah, all nice things, all be lovely to see, but for me, what matters is what happens on that football field, Fergus. And don't put my season ticket up easy for police. I can't afford it. I'm a pensioner. But apart from that, 
you know, I, I don't want to belittle what they're doing. It'll, be, it'll look lovely and I'll look at it. And if they do all the ground up and put bigger screens in, yeah, brilliant. Oh, yeah, that'll be, that's fine. But for me, it ain't something that I'm, that I'm screaming out for. I wouldn't join an action group to change the screens, the tannoys, the bars, the outside of Arsenal really? Stadium. I, I just think if you've got such a nice stadium that it is, and it was one of the best stadiums in the country, okay, it's now 15, 16 years old. It does need a little bit of a refresh. It did take it from the grey concrete block that it was. And they, they had a lot of murals inside, um, and they've added some personalisation, arsenalisation is the word they use, to make the stadium feel a bit more like home and stuff like that. I know some people will um, will never say it's the same as Highbury, but you know, I'm sorry, you have to move on from that as much as it's painful for, for some. But, Ferg, you know, the Ferg, seats... Yeah. Ferg, well, listen, while we've got Stan on, who's, I know he's not in America, I know you're in Canada, Stan, but it, what, what, what C. Osborne's put there, mate, is really interesting. The, the, the stadium that Stan's built in LA, is I've seen pictures of it, it's like, wow, isn't it? But I don't know if you, Stan, you may not be able to answer this, but I got the impression that people like myself, working class man, can't afford to go to the stadium to watch most of the games. Like, you know, the, the Super Bowl, they're, they're equivalent to the cup final. I'd have never got a ticket to that in a million years, would I? I don't think so. I mean, I, it's not really a sport that I follow, to be fair. I did watch the Super Bowl because there was nothing really else on. And I see that, yeah, it's a magnificent stadium, but I have no idea what it's like to get tickets and stuff like that to go to American football games. Yeah. My brother yeah. my brother yeah. lives out in Boston, and um, he's gone to uh, baseball um, and uh, both in Boston and in Chicago. Um, I think they've done NFL games, and they've gone to New England Revolutionaries as well. The, the, the soccer, uh, rather than the American football, um, is more affordable for people to go, but it's um, it, it attracts a, a different type of crowd. It's a much like, more genteel crowd and so on. Uh, the American football, it's a fortune. Um, they said it's like $20, $25 to buy you know, a bottle of beer, um, <laughs> a hot dog is $15. It's, it's like double, triple the prices that are here. And the tickets, you're talking about $120, $150 for a cheap ticket to the gold. So it's, it, wow. it is a lot more expensive. So, uh, guys, thank you very much, Stan. Let people know where they can find you. I know you're on different podcasts, but let people know where they can find you. And thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Really enjoyed the chat. You can find me on Twitter there. And also you can find me on Thursdays uh, with Ray and the lads over on the Arsenal Fan Circle. And also on a Burkamp Wonderland for post-match uh, reviews with Danny. Trevor, we know where to find you. Generally at the bar with your hands in your pocket and they don't come out very quickly. Uh, thank you, as always. Um... <laughs> Funnily enough, Ferg, look at that comment from our mate Terry. Rather they sell better beer than the crap they serve now. Well, tell for you to know about that, son, you've got to buy a beer. We're still waiting. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to clarify, the word I said was beer. There's other comments of what uh, they thought they would have more places to sell in the, in the comments on there. I thought it was very funny, but I'm not going to put it up on there. Um, listen, we're going to leave you with the lovely sound of the mighty Arsenal uh, away fans and then our, our exit music. Thanks very much for watching. If you like what we do, uh, follow us on uh, Facebook. Uh, we're on Guns and Yellow Ribbons, on Twitter, Guns and Ribbons, uh, and on Instagram as well. Uh, but if you like what we do on YouTube, click the like button and, and let your friends what we, know what we do. 
We do this as a hobby. We do it uh, exactly as uh, you guys see it here. We just sit here and have a chat and talk Arsenal. Up the Arsenal. and yellow ribbons an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Twitter at Guns and Ribbons and remember to rate and review us too